Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and with me I've got Nathan Hofford from SAC Metro Fire. Uh, welcome, Nathan. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Um, we've had some other grabs from SAC Metro Fire, but why don't you uh, open up, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your department and search culture and whatnot. I've worked for Metro Fire since 2013. I'm assigned to Truck 26 there. I've been there for a little over a year, um, but the guys that I'm on the truck with, I've worked with probably the captain since 2017, the engineer since 2018, and then the other firemen. Um, it's our first time working together for about the past uh, year and a half. So yeah, so what's what's the search culture like in SAC Metro? Um, I think that it we've been improving greatly. We've been putting a lot of emphasis on search uh, more recently. And when a survey came out to us on what we wanted to drill more on, search seemed to be kind of the number one topic of uh, of getting some pass level training out there. So uh, I think that we're doing a pretty good job, and we're always improving on that on that front right now. So you're on truck twenty six. Is that a four man rig? Yeah, four man. It's a tiller truck. Um, so two firemen, an engineer, and a captain. So you guys get assigned, or who's doing searches on your fires? If the if the truck isn't delayed, they'll do it. But in the circumstances like the incident that we had, the ambulance or even an engine could be assigned to search at any given point in time. But kind of on your normal run of the mill fire, the the trucks will generally be responsible for getting a primary and secondary done. And then, so you got a truck 26 arrives on scene, you guys are assigned search, you guys uh, splitting two and two, or you guys splitting up, or how are you guys, how are you guys tackling those tasks? Generally, generally we'll split. And then um, talk to us a little bit about what the inside team, what they're taking, are they doing a split search oriented, you know, what, what's that look like for you guys? So we, uh, we kind of designate between team one and team two. And so team two will generally be the, the guys going inside for a search, which would be the engineer and the tools farming. Um, what we bring might kind of be dictated by the conditions of the fire. Uh, generally, during the search, we're not really carrying any tools up to the front door. We might carry uh, you know, a hook or some forcible entry tools. Um, even an A-frame, we carry A-frames with a hook and a, and a carry-all, um, and we bring a chainsaw if it's like an attic fire, you know? Um, and then once we start our search, depending on where the fire is, how bad it is, the engineer and the tools fireman might stay together, or they might split up once inside the residence. Uh, now, how do, they, how do they decide that? Is it based on experience together, conditions, that kind of thing? It's conditions and just experience together. So I've, you know, we've worked with uh, the engineer on our truck for a little while now. So we're pretty comfortable with being able to say, hey, we'll take, you know, if it's a kitchen fire, for example, you, we might take the bedrooms to the right and he might go er to the area to the closest to the fire to make sure that that area has been cleared and then link up with myself uh, on the other side of the house later on. Sweet. So Nathan, uh, the fire we're going to talk about December 26, 2020. Why don't you uh, talk to us about, set that, up, set that up for us. 
Uh, so we were dispatched. It was in a neighboring engine's first in. And uh, they arrived a single story house. I don't know if it was a 3-1 or a 3-2, something along those lines, maybe 1,200 square feet. They arrived, you know, light smoke showing. They, they were gonna initiate fire attack. And uh, maybe within 20 seconds of their arrival, they had said that a resident confirmed that there was a individual in the Bravo Charlie bedroom. So with the report of a known person in a known location, that changes up our tactics once we get there a little bit. So anyways, the, uh, the engine said that they were initiating fire attack. They have an ambulance, a fire medic with them. They have turnouts, SCBA. They announced that they would be VESing the Bravo Charlie window to make access to this individual. Um, because of the known rescue, all, I actually masked up in route. We're only maybe a minute to 90 seconds behind the first in engine. So I went off my headset, got my stuff on because that just means at that point that I'll be beating feet to the house and you know making a quick size up and deciding what the best access to that person would be, whether it be through the front door, a back door, or BESing that Bravo Charlie window as well. So we arrived, we split, the captain and I went in. When the air brake hit, I hopped off, ran up to the house. I saw nothing impressive. Maybe there was smoke coming out the front door, but it was at head height. Nothing, nothing too bad. Um, I did see the hose line had made its way inside, as well as uh, one person off of engine 41. I uh, couldn't tell that the conditions were, um, it wasn't a horror condition. I couldn't necessarily tell that from that viewpoint I had, but I had decided based off of what that entry looked like in the alpha side of the house, that the access to where that person was, was maybe not best suited to go through the front door. So I opted to go to the Bravo side of the house, see where the ambulance was at and look at BES in that room. As I went around to the Bravo side, the ambulance guys were pulling the pickets of the fence down uh, to a size just big enough to where I could scoot through. So I went through that hole that they had made. Uh, the very first bedroom looked to be somewhat clear. That would be the um, Alpha Bravo bedroom, if you will. And then the Bravo Charlie bedroom had some significant smoke staining. And then I went around to the Charlie side really quick just to ensure that the most or the best access would have been from that window. So there was no access from the Charlie side. And now we have a known location, hindered access through the front door. So this is kind of where we say, okay, it's time to BES into this space. So I, uh, I break the window out. And uh, right when I break the window out, I hear the guy in there yelling, help. And uh, after I clear some more of that glass out, one note on the glass is uh, when I broke it out, it was extremely brittle, making me think that it probably had a lot of heat on it leading up to me breaking it out. So I broke it out, smoke started coming out, um, maybe halfway down the window. 
and then it lit off. The bedroom was, you couldn't see the floor. The conditions were, um, in terms of the, the amount of stuff in there, the windowsill was, it was almost a, a plane from the windowsill down to where this guy was of stuff. So it really wasn't a drop down once you went inside. But once the window broke open, I could hear him yelling help and the contents of the room then was on fire. So it wasn't like fire was rolling on the ceiling. Um, it, it, the fire wasn't even that impressive that was going, but it, it was enough to make me take pause and go, well, do I need to, should I go through this contents that's on fire right now to this guy? Um, and so that was a thought that I had going through my head, but opted to, we, there was a second hose line on the front lawn. So this guy's yelling help. We call for a second hose line to come to the Bravo side. Um, it doesn't take much water, maybe 10, 15 seconds from a inch and three quarter with combination nozzle to get it knocked down. Um, I go in through the window and visibility is pretty good, but the, this gentleman is almost camouflaged into the contents of the room. So I make my way through the room. I can still hear him yelling help. And I don't actually recognize that I've found him until I'm on top of him because of how much stuff is in the room. He was oriented with his head down towards the ground. His feet were up towards the window and his head was maybe at what the doorway of the bedroom would be to the, the hallway. To his left, there was a nightstand and to his right, there was debris probably piled up about five feet. So in terms of getting access to him, it was very tight. You know, more bodies weren't necessarily gonna help in this situation. Uh, what I did notice was his legs appeared to be severely burned, um, but his upper body, from what I could tell, looked like it was, um, it wasn't. So um, I'm trying to figure out how to pull him out. And uh, the engine 41 fireman that went in through the front door had made his way to his head and after a little bit of trying, we were able to, he was able to prop him up and I was able to get kind of a bear hug on him and rotate him around and fall back into the debris with his head now pointed towards the window. One of the ambulance guys that was assigned BES was in the room with me. And then he and I, um, he went to his hands and pulled and I got um, an arm be at his waist. And basically we, um, were able to get two or three good pushes. And there were a few guys waiting at the window to pull him out to the uh, gurney. And at that point he was still yelling. That's crazy. A couple of things jump out to me. You know, we always, you get online and you see pictures of these houses and it's always like a go or no go. And uh, would you go into that room or not? It seems like that you had that situation. How much was the, victim making noise play into that i can imagine that everything in your body said well nobody can be alive in there but then you hear somebody you're like oh crap <laughs> that changes everything 
It, it does. It was one of the harder decisions I've had to make where we've got PPE that's designed to protect us. And with the actual contents burning, it would have been, it would have been essentially walking on fire to get to him. It wasn't, as I said, it wasn't the fire didn't start in another room. He was in the room of what I suspect to be origin. Obviously that's not official. Uh, and so it, that was, that was a challenging call to make, um, to go in when we chose to go in. So when you're describing the clutter and everything, all I keep thinking about is kind of a Denver drill situation where you can't typically get a rescuer on either side of the victim and, and you're working in, in limited um, conditions. Can you talk a little bit about what your mindset was or what your struggles were? You said he was burned. Did he ha was he slippery or how, how did you communicate with the other firefighter to, to figure out a way? Or is it a more of a just grab whatever you can and let's game of inches type thing? So I, uh, yes, in terms of how skinny it was, yeah, a little bit of the Denver drill, except my footing was so poor because of the contents in the room, there wasn't a really good, you know, I couldn't develop any power to get him moving. Um, I, my initial thought was to pull on his leg, but I was worried that if I, if I pulled too hard that I might take skin and muscle with it. And so I, I opted to try to get to something a little bit more substantial. Um, and then when the other, uh, the fireman on engine, the other end, the engine that uh, was on the initial attack, when he got to his head, then we were able to, I actually suggested going out back his way and he was all, there is no way we're going out there. And so then we decided, okay, we got to go out to the window for sure. And uh, it was the shortest pass of travel, but just a lot of contents in there to cause the issue. So now that you've experienced that, you got a new guy on truck 26 with you. How could you drill or how could you practice or how could you do anything to prepare your junior guy in the truck to do something like that? I mean, uh, work, working on, <laughs> that's a tough one because, uh, the, the, contents really made it challenging. Uh, it wasn't an open room where you had room to work around the, the victim. It was two people working on him at best from two different angles. Um, maybe working on some type of a, like a, I know that there's an arm bar drag. So maybe working on something like a leg bar or something along those lines. I don't know if that's a technical term. But anything to try to not pull all the skin off, but get some type of a hold on him. Um, but as I said, the my footing was so poor in there that it was difficult to get the power necessary to maneuver him until the engine fireman was able to lift his torso up. No, it's a, it's a all good points. You know, I I did FDTN uh, fire combat this past year. And one of the one of the tips the instructors gave us when we were going through the hoarder um, scenario, when we had a victim, because we were the same thing, you know, we're, we're piles and piles of stuff trying to move the victim out. They said, just throw a ladder in there. If you can get the victim onto the ladder, uh, at least you have something you can pass the ladder up. Um, and you know, so that kind of came to mind as you're as you're speaking through going through this. 
it's definitely something maybe the crews that are on the outside that completely feel helpless can get something so we can work on plan B, whether it's a backboard or something else like that. Uh, not wait for plan A to fail for sure. What do you, um, time-wise, what are you thinking that was from arrival to getting the victim out? I know that the ambulance was transporting to the hospital from the time the first engine got there in, I think it was in under 10 minutes. So for us getting him out, gosh, I'm not 100% sure. It, it, it felt like it was a little bit longer than I would have preferred um, due to the um, challenges we experienced with trying to get him out of that room. But it was probably after we got there, maybe five minutes from that time to getting him out. Outstanding. Who completed the rest of the search or what, did, what was that scenario like once you got that victim out? Um, the, the second in truck did a, did the secondary, um, in terms of completing the primary, the only other bedroom that wasn't, I'm trying to think, I, I couldn't tell you for sure who went in there. Um, I know that the first two engines went inside through the front door. Um, and as I said, sometimes they will assist with doing that primary, but I couldn't tell you for sure who finished that primary because the second truck had already got there by the time, um, at least I think they were there by the time that that person was coming out. Um, yeah, and then just a couple other things that I want to bring up. You mentioned the brittle glass uh, and recognizing that you suspected high heat after that. Um, can you explain that a little bit or, you know, how much VES are you guys getting? It, obviously that comes from some experience or knowledge. Um, talk about that for just a minute. Um, we, we don't VES a ton. Uh, I don't personally VES a ton. Um, generally we would try to go through the front door in order to get to somebody um, unless the fire or you have, you know, hindered access that would dictate otherwise. Um, it just, I haven't broke a ton of glass, but that was very easy. It broke very easily. It was dark, but kind of what you would suspect. Um, the challenges that I experienced with the VES is, you know, you're taught you're going to break out the window. Maybe that room could, what we might call burp, some smoke's going to come out of it. And then if you do experience fire, do your best to get inside shut the door, there's no door, you know, throw a mattress against it, take a closet door off, anything to isolate that room so that you can get a good search done. What I wasn't expecting was for the room to be the room of origin, also having the victim and also having no way of isolating it from the rest of the house. Not that you'd want to at that point in time with the first two circumstances that I just listed. Um, so those were definitely thinking points in the future for myself. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned specifically hindered access as, as being the reason why you didn't want to go in through the front door, which is pretty cool. Uh, anything else? Any other takeaways from this? Uh, one thing for 
myself to improve upon in the in the future in that circumstance and i don't know if it would have changed the outcome um is when doing that ves having a water can with you i don't know if the two and a half gallons would have helped in that circumstance um and luckily we did have a second hose line on the on the front yard but um that's definitely something that will be going through the back of my mind if we're going to be yesing a window and uh at least it's, it's better than nothing and it's something that i could pull off of an engine as i'm running into the house yeah at least having it right there because if it lights off when you take that window not necessarily going in and and doing that one room search with the water can but yeah that, that totally makes sense no yeah strictly just to kind of cool it down if that was the circumstance that i had described yeah well, I'm, I'm always impressed the stories that I hear out of Sac Metro Fire. You guys seem like you got, uh, you're aggressive and you know what's going on. I love how observant you are. Uh, you guys are just to all the little things that are going on and definitely appreciate you guys sharing it. Um, if you make a grab and it's successful or otherwise, uh, please uh, record that information at uh, www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. If you want to share your story with us on the Grabs podcast, uh, contact me, Grant Schwalbe, Nick Ladine, Justin McWilliams, any of us can do that because um, we just like to hear the stories. If nobody's telling the real stories and reporting the information, it's just getting made up. So Nathan, I appreciate you sharing everything with us. Until next time.